everybody. Hey there, welcome back. I'm Larry. I'm Emily. And this is Planet and God, and we are the last day of the week. Yep. It should be Friday if you're following along with us. If not, that's okay. You've picked us up at... John chapter 20. John chapter 20. So if you've been following along, you get the weekends to catch up, and we will finish our gospel reading challenge on Monday being Christmas Day, and we're so grateful if you followed along. And uh, if not, that's okay. All the videos are there for you to pick up where you want. So chapter 20 was um, an easier chapter for me. <laughs> chapter 20 is a chapter of rejoicing. Yes. So you ready? It's a happier chapter. It is. So chapter 20 opens up with very early on the first day of the week. What do you think that means? <laughs> it is Sunday before sunrise. Exactly. <laughs> the Jewish calendar starts on Sunday, Sunday to Saturday, because Saturday being the Sabbath, Sabbath being the last day of the week, it's a Sunday. <laughs> and so we have who's going out to the tomb? Mary Magdalene. Yes. Mary Magdalene, very first one there. And what does she see? The stone is rolled away. Exactly. That's all she sees. She doesn't go in to investigate. She doesn't see any angels. She just sees that the stone is moved. And then she... she Runs back to the disciples. Exactly. She thinks that his body's been taken. That she thinks something nefarious has happened. Right. So she goes back to the disciples. She goes to two disciples specifically. Who are they? Peter and John. And where did we hear them last? Well, together was at um, the high priest's exactly. place. The two men that were at the high priest that saw the entire trial, probably followed along the whole time. John was at the crucifixion. I don't think Peter was. I don't think... Kinda, I think after the it, crow, he... He ran off. Yep. But... There's no evidence. Exactly. So these two men are the two that Mary Magdalene goes to. They take off like crazy and run to see what Mary had reported. I find it interesting because it, it says that the one of them outran the other. Yeah, John outrans Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that could be that Peter's heart was still maybe... A bit broken? Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, what What do I do? Yeah. I mean, that's a little speculation. But it like, is. Most people speculate it because John is smaller than Peter. Like, they, they put John as, like, this skinny little dude that can run, and then Peter as a Larry, fat, hefty dude that wow. can't run. You know? <laughs> it is what it is. So, um, then they get there, and... But I, what I found interesting about... So, John beats him to the tomb, yep. but Peter's the first one to go into the tomb. Yeah. So I thought that was like an interesting contrast. It is. Uh, you know, again, if it if it really is like a Peter being a hefty guy and John being a short, uh, small, stocky, small guy, um, I could see that. Because when I get running, it's hard to stop. You, know, the, you get that momentum. Wow. So he just like flew into <laughs> he the... He just flew in. <laughs> That is not. <laughs> Whereas John, is being a smaller guy, is more control and can stop. I don't know. It's just I can see it. 
me being You're a hefty ridiculous. guy. I know. Okay, that is not. <laughs> regardless, regardless, Peter goes in because he's got to see what happened. What happened? And John stops just short of it. And when they do go in, they see the linen cloths lying together and the headpiece folded and in a different spot. Yeah, so here's our proof that Jesus doesn't have a shroud out there. Exactly. Because his shroud was folded and placed on the stone. Well, even <laughs> still, the Shroud of Turin is a full body piece. This is a headpiece and then the linen cloth. Was, was separate. Was yeah. separate. And it, what's interesting is that the linen cloths just being there, they're not like folded up. This kind of implies that Jesus was resurrected through the linen cloths. Yeah. Which is really cool because Jesus, when he was resurrected, he wasn't resurrected like Lazarus. Lazarus, when he came back, came back in his body. And they had to unwrap and unravel him. Jesus was resurrected in a glorified body and resurrected through the cloths. And then we see in verse 8 how John has now saw everything and believes Mary's report. But you can see they're still struggling with the idea that he's risen from the dead. Yeah, verse 9 they nine and 10, they don't understand what's what this means and and the illusion the scripture that john points out here is referring to psalm sixteen ten, how it talks about how the messiah will not be abandoned in sheol and then from there they leave the scene not having seen the body not having seen the resurrected jesus and not having seen any angels they didn't see anyone when they were there yeah, I found that really fascinating. So, right, Mary stays, yep. and she is crying alone at the tomb. Yeah, she must have followed them yep. there. They leave, not having seen anything, and she is just distraught. It's interesting how the Lord allowed that for Mary Magdalene yeah. and not for the disciples. Yes, uh, it's what's even more fascinating is the fact that Mary Magdalene's testimony is recorded because I say that because by Jewish law, in order for someone to give, uh, uh, sorry, by Jewish law, there was a requirement of two or three witnesses in a court case, right? You had to have two or three witnesses by Jewish law. Those witnesses had to be men. A woman could not serve as giving testimony by Jewish law. There's many accounts throughout the Talmud, the Mishnah, and the Gemara of this, that women were not allowed to give testimony. Actually, just to show how, how much they, they did this, uh, the Babylonian Talmud can be quoted as saying that a woman is only allowed to testify if she has given birth or has not given birth. She is not allowed to testify if it's a male or female. Think about that. Well, it reminds me actually, well, like going back and to the woman at the well. Yeah. Right? She gave a testimony and then people believed. Yeah. And so we're finding that here, the same thing with Mary Magdalene is she went, told the, the two disciples, and they, obviously there was enough intrigue in them to say, okay, let's go look. Right. You know? But for this, because a lot of people will say that the resurrection story is fabricated. If this were a fabricated story, then why don't the gospel accounts record only men as the witnesses? 
right? You think by Jewish law, a woman's testimony means nothing. The only thing a woman can do is say if she has physically given birth to a child. She can't even testify if it's a boy or girl. So Peter and John, why didn't they record them being the first witnesses of the resurrected? Why aren't the other disciples recorded as the first witness? Why is it the first witness is a woman? And it's her testimony that everything else kind of compounds upon. Yeah, it just shows the value there. Right. The fact that a woman is the first witness should serve as a stronger argument for the authentication of the resurrection more than anything. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Let's get back to like what she saw yes. in the tomb. So what obviously we kind of said the two angels. Yeah, she saw two angels and then she saw, she hears a voice from behind her and she supposes that that voice is the gardener until he uses her name. Yeah, um, it's amazing to see how she responds after that too, after he says her name because she doesn't know it's him. And we see that not in this, uh, not in John, but in some of the other Gospels that um, even after he's resurrected, they don't recognize Jesus. Yeah. You know? Well, he's resurrected in a glorified body. So well, it's... yeah. It's not, that, it's not that I don't think that they don't recognize him. I think that there's almost like this wall up that the Lord allows them to be a little blinded in yeah. that situation. And so same thing here with Mary. Um, and then once he says her name, it's like, Bam, her eyes uh, are open right. and she sees. Exactly. And then look at verse 17. I want to explain this one because some people tend to get a little confused at it. It says, Jesus replied, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. So what people often get confused with is that phrase, Do not touch me, for I have yet not yet ascended to my Father. There's two possible ways that we can take that phrase. First was is that Mary wanted to cling to or hang on to Jesus, like not let him go. You're here, I'm going to hold you and not let you go. And that's based on the Greek words to touch. How there's two words that get translated in English to touch. One word which is used here is like a clinging to, right? I'm not going to let you go type thing. And it just implies that Mary didn't want to let Jesus go, and but he has to, and so he's trying to she get her. Has to. Jesus has to go. Oh, I thought let her. I'm yeah. sorry. Let. I thought you said she has to let him go. Well, yeah. Okay. Either way, <laughs> Jesus is trying to get her to understand that there's a new way to approach him. It's not through physical contact anymore. It is through spiritual contact. And we kind of see that because the other Greek word is used in verse 27 with Thomas when he touches Jesus. It's like, a, I'm touching you, not clinging right. to you. And then the other, way is, the other way to interpret this is kind of related to the Mosaic law. So this mostly, you, we get this idea mostly from the phrase, I have not yet ascended to my father. And how this relates to the Mosaic Law is that in the Mosaic Law, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would have to do a number of things. He would have to become ceremonial clean. He would have to put on white garments, perform the rituals, 
do the ceremony cleansing again, and then put on his normal garments. And if anyone would touch the high priest between that while he was wearing the white garments, he would become unclean and have to start the whole process over again. And so this was the ritual, and the high priest would be untouchable. How does this relate to Jesus? Well, we learn throughout scripture that the tabernacle on earth is a replica of the tabernacle in heaven. And so the tabernacle on earth was cleansed with the blood of an animal. The tabernacle in heaven, though, had to be cleansed with something better, more pure. This being the sacrifice of the Messiah. Jesus now is functioning as high priest. Right? He was prophet. Now he, when he dies, he becomes our priest on our behalf. And so he had to go to heaven, cleanse the tabernacle in heaven with his blood, and so when Mary sees him, he's kind of like in that in-between And this is, the, this is what makes more sense to me. And the reason it makes more sense to me is because he's explaining why she can't cling to him. Yes. In that manner. Yes. So. And so, yeah, exactly. When Jesus encounters Mary, he hasn't done this yet. He hasn't gone to heaven and cleansed the tabernacle there. So that's why she can't touch him. He is untouchable because he is ceremonially clean at this moment. Yeah. Uh, this leads to one last question, though, is when did the heavenly tabernacle become defiled? And that can be kind of seen, it, we don't have any scripture that talks about that specifically, but we get the idea that something happened when Satan defiled God's command and elevated himself to be, you know, like God. He wanted to be like God sinned against God, and broke the heavenly order. And so it's at that time that we would say that the heavenly tabernacle became defiled, when Satan defiled it through his sin. That's seen in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. So, I mean, either way, it both kind it's of works. It's not like a it, make or break. It's not. Um, it's a, it's, it could go either way. It could go either way. And it's, it should not cause division. Exactly. It's a secondary <laughs> item. Uh, and I presented the two major things. I don't really have a one way or the other that I swing on it. Those are just the two major views. I think really they both make sense. They do. So even if one makes more sense than the other, you could have them both being in tandem yeah. as well. But you know, we don't really have further information on it. So exactly. Not without spending hours of study. Um, so now we get to where Jesus is in the midst of the disciples. Yes. it's uh, Again, we point out in verse 19 that it's still the first day of the week. So it's still Sunday. Jesus appears to the ten. And in this encounter, he says something, another funny thing that I want to explain. Uh, look at verse 23. It says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. And so this is another one that, that there's two major views for what he's saying here uh, that I want to give. The first view is that the disciples are given special authority to deal with sin. Not in the sense of forgiveness, but in the sense of church discipline. So... We see this fulfilled 
in Acts chapter 5 when Peter uses this power and it results in the death of two people who lie. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses this authority to retain the sin of an individual. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, Paul removes this sin from that individual because they repent it. So we kind of see this view play out. The second view is similar that in that the disciples are given the right or the ability to claim a person's sins are forgiven or they are not forgiven. That is, the disciples go out and preach the gospel. If someone repents of their sin, turns to Jesus Christ in faith, that those disciples can say, your sins are forgiven because you have trusted Jesus Christ. And then if someone were to say, reject the gospel, reject Jesus as the Messiah, then they are allowed to say, as you are, if you die today, you will be condemned, you will go to hell, end of story. You will be eternally punished. So those are the two views on how to take, the two major views on how to take that phrase that Jesus uses. And I'm going to rewind you a little too, because I, in that same, just above that, he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. He so the disciples that. in that moment are receiving the Holy Spirit. We move into um, the next part of it, which is 24. To well, what? 24 and 25, you have Doubting Thomas kind of show up. He, in his stubbornness, he refused to believe unless he can see and touch the Lord himself. And then 26 through 29, we kind of jump ahead eight days later. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. There's like this, so Jesus appears, right? Yep. And then it looks like there's nothing for eight days. Yeah. And then Jesus mm -hmm. appears for the second time. Right, in the same place, same, same way. Place. Yep. But this time Thomas is there and he's invited to touch the Lord. Right, so, and I think it's so cool because like, you know, he, Thomas said this to the other disciples. But Jesus, in being God, knowing everything, was like, right. hey, Thomas, <laughs> like, I Come heard here. you, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, but it doesn't actually directly say that Thomas actually touched him. Not in this He's account. invited to. Yeah. But it doesn't actually say that he did. So I don't know. I haven't studied the other Gospels enough to know yeah, it doesn't, if he actually did or not. Uh, you're right. It doesn't say if he does, he's invited to. Most people assume that he did, based on the invitation. But he believes, and then he's chastised for having requiring this to believe. Well, I wouldn't even call it a chastisement necessarily, but like he, this is something like Jesus is saying, you shouldn't need to. Right, you shouldn't need this much. You shouldn't need this right. to believe. And then he then praises the people who have not seen, right. but yet still believe. That'd and so be that us. would be, right, all of us after, yep. you know, his death and resurrection. So anybody from that time. Forward. Forward, right. Which is, I think, a really amazing statement. Yeah. You know? Um, so then we get down into verse 30 and 31, which I'll just read. 
it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so it really just sums up almost the entirety of the book of John. It is the purpose for why John wrote his account, especially the way that he wrote his account, that everything that is written in this book is sufficient for faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yeah, and what I think is so amazing about this is that, for one, there were so many other signs that he did that are not written down. How much more, you know? I think that's really cool. And then also... Um, that by believing we have life in his name. I think that says a lot. It does. So, but I think that pretty much wraps up chapter 20. That does. So we're going to give you the weekend and then we will see you back here on Christmas Day and we will finish up the Book of John. All right. right. See ya. Bye.